We are uh, going to continue in our study in the book of Ephesians, and so uh, if you would open your Bibles, um, turn them on. Um, if you don't have a copy of uh, God's Word, if you don't own a Bible or have one with you this morning even, um, you can reach under the first uh, seat of every row, and there's a Bible there, and uh, please follow along. And we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And really, as we um, open up into Ephesians chapter 4, this is a turn, in a sense, a turn in the book, um, in just the direction that Paul has been taking us as we've studied this over the last number of weeks. If you've missed our uh, study in Ephesians, we just invite you to go back, um, and uh, you can go to our website, and you can catch up on some of the sermons, um, but I would also just invite you to just study, spend time this week studying Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, because everything that we look at for the rest of our time in Ephesians, which is going to take us um, through the end of this school year... Um, um, is going to be rooted in that, that theology, what we learned from Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. And so we really have learned, in a sense, um, the doctrine or the, the, the theology that Paul wanted to present uh, to this church in those first three chapters. And ultimately what he is instructing us in is that who we are in Christ... Because of the gospel, this is who we have become. What Jesus has done has accomplished something for us, and that something has changed our identity. The identity has been set by what we know of who Jesus is. And one of the things that we can understand, and I hope that this has maybe caught on, we, we, we call this uh, sermon, it's Ephesians, because it's just the Bible, but the subtitle we've given, I guess, is that we may know and live, and you see that every week, that we may know and live. And so what is it that Paul wants us to know? What is God's Word teaching us through this book? Is that we would know who we are, and because of who we are, we would live accordingly. There would be a correlation between those things. I personally, I don't wake up every morning and think to myself, well, I think today I better be Laurel's husband, and I better be Grayson Carson and Hudson's dad. I'll, I'll try that. I'll just kind of dabble in that identity. I don't, just, I don't have to wake up and think about that because it's who I am. I am Laurel's husband. I am my boy's dad. And so many, if not every decision that I make is in some way often connected to those identities because it's who I am, because of who God has called me to be. Well, if it's those things about, honestly, temporal things, human relationships, husband and wife, father and sons, the same should ultimately be true about our lives in Christ, which is eternal. Who we are has been established and set by Christ and by what he has done. And that's what Ephesians 1 through 3 has taught us. As Paul closed, as you may were, if you were with us last week, as he closed chapter 3, he closed in reminding us of who we are. And his prayer for the church in Ephesus, and ultimately it would be a prayer for us as well, is that God would allow us to be strengthened, to be rooted and grounded in love, to know God's love for us so that we can be filled with God's love, so that it permeates everything about us, every aspect of our being. There's no such thing as sort of partial Christian, or I'm, I'm somewhat, I'm kind of thinking about being this a Christian. You either are in Christ or you are not in Christ, and if you are in Christ, because of that, it touches everything, every part of your life. And Paul prayed so boldly as he closed that, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, what's he praying about? He's praying to God who can do, he's the only one who can convince us and can give us assurance of who we are in Christ. Because our flesh, we will be tempted away from those things. And so he closes with that prayer saying and acknowledging that only by God's power will we be secured in that. He prayed boldly because he wants us to know who we are. And that would seem very often that's an impossible task to think about who we are in Christ and to understand God's love for us. But he wants us to know that because if we can know that, if we can stand firm in that, if we can be secure in who we are in Christ, then every other aspect of our lives will in a sense take care of itself. You ever find yourself wondering how you're going to deal with the situation or that? And I've had uh, conversations a lot with my son. My oldest son, as you know, is in college. He's in his first semester of college. And uh, he's, he's been challenged by it. It's hard. It's hard work. It's, it's been an adjustment as he's transitioned. And I've talked to him a lot about what are the things that you're doing. I don't talk to him about the ultimately the grade or the outcome, but I'm talking to him about the things that he needs to be doing. Because if he's doing the things that are just come natural to him as he's studying and applying himself, and all of those, all of the rest will take care of itself. We hear that often in sports. We do the basic things, the foundational things, the fundamentals. We practice those things, and then the rest of the things will take care of themselves. Well, if we would understand who we are in Christ, if we woke up every morning in the same way that I wake up every morning, and I just know that I am Laurel's husband today and every day until Christ returns or I am taken to be with him, then all of my decisions, everything that I do would be rooted in that. So Paul, he wants us to grasp this identity. He wants us to understand who we are. And that's why he begins chapter 4, as Liberty read for us, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Notice even Paul Understands as he begins to now, he's going to lead us into conversations of sort of the practical theology, like what does it mean? This is what we know about God and what that means for us. Now, how that applies to our lives and what the, 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 the direction that it takes us, all of those things and what we do with our lives are rooted in that. And he starts recognizing and acknowledging and professing once again his identity. You might remember in the beginning of chapter three, he opened chapter three the same way. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, of Christ Jesus. He says that he in verse is a, a prisoner for the Lord. He realizes that because of who he is, because of who he is in Christ, everything that he does is influenced by that reality. Paul begins, if you have studied many of his letters, every one of his letters almost with an acknowledgement of who he is. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, talking about Paul and Timothy as they both delivered that letter. Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart. First and Second Corinthians, he talks about he is an apostle by the will of God. Titus, he acknowledges it once again. He uses the word servant to describe his identity. First and Second Timothy, he uses the word apostle by command and by will of God. And here in Ephesians, as we just read, an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And in chapter 3 and in verse 4, coming back to that identity, a prisoner. A prisoner for the Lord. Who we are in Christ matters. 
In fact, it matters more than any other thing that we might call ourselves. More important than what I call myself as husband or father or pastor or friend or brother or whatever title or something you might want to acknowledge me as, it all begins with who I am in Christ. You might say, my, it would, it would, you wouldn't be completely wrong in saying, well, my first priority in life is to um, be the husband to Laurel. That wouldn't be totally wrong. But ultimately, even that very important identity, that calling, has a, underneath it a responsibility to be in Christ. If I'm going to be the husband that I've called to be, I have to begin that by being in Christ. That identity comes first. If I'm going to sacrifice, show grace, if I'm going to love unconditionally because I know all of those things are done for me, what? In Christ. All of the things that I'm called to do in whatever identity I find myself in are rooted in the fact that I am in Christ. I have become one with Him. And so the rest of this book the remaining three chapters, are all written to the church and give instruction on how we are to live. But notice the kind of the space that's involved. Three chapters, all focused on and reminding us, emphasizing who we are because of Jesus. And then three chapters touching all of the other things about life. Do you grasp the importance? There is a, there's something to be seen just in the volume that Paul and God uses and spends on this time or on this subject. And so, because Paul says that he's a prisoner for the Lord, and because of all that he said before in chapters 1 through 3, I therefore, based on everything I've told you, now this is how I call you to live. And he begins in more general terms, and he, as we work our way through these next few chapters, he will become, get more focused into the specific areas of our lives. But he says that he calls us, he urges us, chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk in a manner worthy. Now, we've probably heard that. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard that verse many times. I know often as a kid, I was reminded that I was to be walking in a manner worthy, and the, the, the words might have been different, but it's essentially, you need to remember what Jesus has done for you, young man, and you need to live accordingly. My mom would remind me of all that Jesus had done for me and live accordingly, and she, wanted, she was trying to remind me of this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We're to live out this identity, and because of who we are, it should show up in the way that we lead our lives. Now, the word that Paul uses here when he says worthy, to walk in a manner worthy, it's related to weight. And so he's saying to us that the knowledge of who we are in Christ should be equal to the weight of how we live. It's a, it's a mathematical term. And we know that if you're a mathematician, which I am far from, that the equations have to be equal. Matt teaches me this all the time. And so on one side of the equation has to be this. It has to equal the other side of the equation, and there has to be a balance there. And Paul is saying that our lives should be balanced against who we know we are in Christ. 
There should be, uh, the scales should be balanced. Now, before you get led astray on this, notice who he is speaking to and what he is saying. He is not saying that the scales must be balanced in order for us to become in Christ. It's not a way to earn our way into favor with Christ. He is saying that because of who you are, who you already are in Christ, Christian, your lives should balance against that calling. So don't mistake this for hearing that I'm saying, or Paul is saying to us, that we have to do something in order to balance our lives. That is legalism, where we try to balance the scales. And there are many people that live their lives that way. This is what I've done badly. This is what I've done well or good at. Goodly is not a word. That's why I had to adjust that sentence. All right? So badly versus goodly. And so we have to try to keep those things on even. And what happens? We do some things. We kind of have a bad time. Don't do exactly right. We make some mistakes. You know, something comes out of our mouth that we wish hadn't come out of our mouth, some action. All right, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to come over to this side of the scale and I'm going to try to get some balance there so I can even things out. And what we're trying to do is we're saying to ourselves, if I can just keep those scales sort of balanced, then I'll appease God. No, that never happens. We can't ever appease God. There's no, no amount of works. There's, the scripture is clear that says all of our goodness is like filthy rags to the Lord because it doesn't ever measure up. But for those of us who are in Christ who Ephesians chapter 3 is written about us, essentially it's to us, but it's about us, that this is who we have become because of all that Jesus has done when he laid down his life on the cross, that if we know that, if that is who we are, if you call yourself a Christian, then your life should have balance with that claim. And the reason so often that our world gets a little bit confused is how many of us on one day will claim the name of Christ and our lives do not reflect anything that is worthy. The scales are never even come close to being balanced. And so there is a call, a responsibility to holiness. He says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You have been called by the name of Christ, by His grace and His mercy because of who He is. And because of that, how will you live? Will you live accordingly? Of course, we ask, well, how in the world can we do that? How do we make sure that we're remembering who we are? Some of us don't just try to balance the scales good versus bad. Some of us know the depravity of our hearts, know how often we are to wander. And sometimes the enemy whispers in our ears and tells us that we're not worthy of who Christ is. We're not worthy of his love. And we need to remember who we are, our identity. And then in other cases, yes, we get too flippant with our lives. We think, well, because of who I am in Christ, I can just do whatever I want to do. And we think that, oh, grace will abound. We forget that Paul said, heavens, no, don't go there. But we're to walk and live out of this identity, who we are in Christ. It's worthwhile, even as we think about this, the order of the instructions that he gives us. We've said it over and over again in this church that he doesn't tell us how we are to live in order to obtain the blessings of Christ. He tells us who Christ is and what he has done for us and then tells us how to respond accordingly. Chapters 1 through 3, this is all that Christ has done. This is who he is. This is who you are in him. Now, chapters 4 and following, this is how you are to live. So, 
How are we to walk in a manner worthy? And it begins with an internal sort of character. It gives us two immediate responses in Ephesians chapter 4. He begins by talking to us about unity, and then later he talks to us, after talking about unity, he'll talk about purity. So this morning, really we're just going to focus on the unity that comes as we live with these character traits that he gives to us. The unity that we experience, that we're called to live out in the church, is rooted in who we are, again, in Christ. Because of who we are, because of what Christ has done for us, we live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 2. He begins with these two internal words. Words that are hard for us to, or things that are hard for us to measure about someone else, but we know about ourselves. He says that we are to be humble and gentle. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of Christ's name, then we will walk with humility and gentleness. Do those words describe us? They're character traits that should describe every Christian. Humility and gentleness. This won't be behind me on the screen, so you're going to need to flip over to Philippians chapter 2 or scroll over to Philippians chapter 2. Jesus modeled this for us, what humility and gentleness look like, an often read text. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Notice that, that Paul here, in talking about, he's going to describe Christ, but he begins again with this call to unity. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and doing of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what humility looks like. The God of the universe... He says in Colossians that all things were created for him, by him, and through him. He holds all of the power. Whatever power you think you hold today over your own lives, over yourselves, over any situation in this world, your power is as small, I cannot get it small enough to describe how small we are. Amen. Compared to Jesus Christ, the authority who is above all, in all, for all, he's got it all. And he himself, I will come down and I will be like you. I will take on form like you. 
And I will do what not even you would be willing to do. I will go to the cross. I will lay down my life for you. Because I consider you, notice he says, complete my joy. I consider you the joy, the joy that was set before him. He laid down his life for us. That's humility, friends. That's what it looks like. Jesus painted for us the perfect picture. It says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That confusing little turn of words means that he was equal with God. He is God. He didn't have to think about how he could become like God, but he has always, will always be God. And he came down in human form and laid down his life for us. That's humility. And Paul says, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of his name, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to walk in a manner that is rooted in humility and gentleness, considering others greater than ourselves. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it speaks of, Jesus speaks of his meekness, and it really describes, it's often been said, strength under control. Jesus had all of the authority in the world. When I was little, we used to sing a song. He could have called down 10,000 angels to take him off that cross. But he didn't because he loved us. Because he was humble and meek. He was not weak. He was not ever without power. He was not ever without control. But he laid it all down because he considered us worth the cost. This is so countercultural, friends. Humility to consider others greater than ourselves is so foreign. If we're going to have a, the witness, the opportunity that we have as a church to be a powerful witness in this community is rooted just in those words. If we would be a people of humility and gentleness. I watch so often, and yes, there's so many great days in this community where we'll come together and we'll rally around a cause and we'll come to each other's aid, but so often in this community as well as all over the world, it all is about how can I get mine? Let me figure out how I can win. If I need to cut that person down so that I am elevated above them, then I will do that. If I need to think more highly of myself or put myself in the right position, if I need to sort of socially sort of squeeze this person out so that I can find myself in the, in the place of power or authority, I'll do that. Anything I can do in order to be uh, just rightfully viewed the way my mind thinks of myself, that's our attitude. And so often that per- it's, it's pervasive. It touches the church. We are to be a people of humility and gentleness. The number one cause of this breakdown in unity and the reason that Paul addresses humility and gentleness as the first words that will lead to unity is because pride stands in the way. Pride. We think we have all the answers. We think we can get it done our way. If everyone would just listen to me and do it the way that I think we should do it, then everything would be great. That's how we live so often. We have to remember that is pride and to consider others greater than ourselves. I will challenge you. If you don't take anything else away from this day, this week, and I'll even, I'm going to have to have you, have you bleed it over into next week because a lot of you are going to be on vacation and away from all the people around you. 
But for the next two weeks, I want to just ask and challenge you in every situation, would you think to yourself, this person that I'm having a conversation with is greater than I am. They are more valuable than I am. Their life, their desires, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their anxieties, their pains, their frustrations, all of those things, whatever is coming out of their mouths, whatever is being spoken to you, I want you to say to yourself, you are the most important. You are ahead of me. So no matter what is going on in my life, I'm going to consider you and your needs and what's going on in your life greater than my own. Could we do that? I believe if you would just try that out for just, again, just test it for a couple weeks. This week's going to be, your only thing you're going to have to do that with is your crazy uncle, all right? That's this week, all right? That's me, by the way. But next week, you're going to go back to school, you're going to go back to work, and you're going to find that situation where you're going, it's going to be a test. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. And guess what? Your way might be the right way. Laurel's not here, so I can joke about this. I often, when we have a disagreement, I I very often think that it's my way is the right way. Does anybody else fall into that trap? And every now and again, I stumble so far as to say that I can defend it biblically. (laughs) You can imagine where that leads. But even in that fun little turn of words there, think of this. I can defend it biblically, but the Bible says that I am to lay down my life for my wife as a model of Christ. So no matter what defense I might lay and whatever verses I might try to use in order to say that I am right, I am wrong because I am disobeying the Word of God. I consider others greater than myself, and I live with complete humility and gentleness. And then he says after, that as, uh, or he continues, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, not by gritting our teeth, not holding back, I'm going to bear with you just as long as I have to until you're out of my face. Not, I'm going to bear with you just as long as you're here and I have to listen to you. No, I'm just praying that you will just leave. Could you just move, in fact? No. Bear with one another in love. That's what he says. That we are to deal with one another with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience, it literally means being long-tempered. I so often am short-tempered. That's just in my flesh. My sons know this. They would tell you. Yeah, something goes squirrely. Dad's going to just, that fuse can go quick. I don't like that about myself. That's just who, that's, that's part of who I am. Part of my sanctification process is to become more long-tempered, to be more patient, and to bear with one another in love. The root of all of this, unity, he says, is rooted in the fact that we love one another. Notice he uses the word love. We don't always agree with one another. We're not unified because of our agreement. We don't always believe everything that one another does is right. It's not just merely acceptance. We don't always believe one another and even sometimes like one another. 
But even in the midst of all of those things, we can choose and have been called because of who we are in Christ to love one another and to deal with one another in love, with love. And that's a decision to be made. That's not just a feeling. That's a decision that says, because of who Christ is, because of what he has done in my life, because of who I know I am only through him, I have nothing to offer. I, can, I have to be humbled by who Christ is. I've got to be gentle and meek about that because I don't have, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it figured out. I've got to be long-tempered and patient all because of my love for you and your love for me. And as we love one another and we live with those character traits, with humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance, we will find that there is a unity and a strength and a bond of unity that cannot be broken by this world because it is supernatural. Where do we love? Where is the source of our love? The source of our love is Christ, who we are in Christ. We love because he first loved us. And we're going to have time this morning right now to take communion, to be reminded and to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and to remind ourselves of the love that we have experienced because of Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. You are so worthy of our praise. And I pray right now specifically, Holy Spirit, for anyone in this room that does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. In your sovereign hand, God, you brought them here this morning so that they might hear the good news. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.